الرحمن الرحيم والصلاة والسلام على أشرف الأنبياء والمرسلين سيدنا ومولانا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته Welcome back to our second class of the beginning of guidance Bidayatul Hidayah from the great Imam and the proof of Islam Imam Ghazali may Allah have mercy on him and continuously raise his ranks in paradise due to the benefit that we are able to glean from his work from his knowledge inshallah and may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala always enable us to have access to his work and be able to access the wisdom and the knowledge that he has left as his legacy on this earth inshallah we're going to start with our dua of imam haddad is our custom in order to uh, open our hearts and our minds to seeking knowledge if you can read in arabic please do otherwise read the english inshallah bismillahirrahmanirrahim nawaitu ta'alluma wa ta'alim wa tadhakkura wa tafkir wa nafa' wal intifa' wal ifada wal istifada wal hatha ala tamassuki bi kitabillahi wa sunnati rasuli sallallahu alayhi wa sallam والدعاء إلى الهدى والدلالة على الخير ابتغاء وجه الله ومرضاته وقربه وثوابه سبحانه وتعالى آمين يا رب Okay, so our class etiquettes inshallah just to run through these again uh, quickly please keep your screen and sound away from your beloved menfolk in the house and please enter with your registration name uh, we prefer that rather than having iPhone or Galaxy or something like that if possible. And if you can, uh, it's good to be in a state of wudu when you're seeking sacred knowledge and also to at least cover your hair, inshallah. And we explained that in a bit of detail last week. And all questions will be addressed at the end of the class. So you are welcome to write in the chat and also at the time to unmute yourself and ask any questions that you'd like and we do encourage you to join our telegram group the telegram uh, messaging app uh, so that uh, the attendees of this class can be uh, more um, uh, what's the word so that we can address you more personally inshallah rather than trying to put things on Facebook or Instagram which can be a little bit unwieldy and so if there are any cancellations or notifications or anything like that then inshallah you will be able to receive those messages directly and you won't miss them inshallah and of course for any inqui uh, inquiries or anything please contact us at miskwomen at gmail.com okay bismillah so we had a look at this last week which is basically the outline of the book and for those who weren't with us last week and are joining today um, and uh, the first part we've covered in our podcast series so that's the area that's uh, got the grey background and uh, these online classes inshallah are moving in part 2 and going on to part 3 and at the moment we are looking at the sins of the limbs so what's highlighted in red there is inshallah what we will be looking at today. The section on the tongue and the sins of the tongue or the transgressions or acts of disobedience that are caused by the tongue actually consist of eight parts. Uh, so inshallah, hopefully we'll be able to cover at least two of those today, inshallah. Okay, so we had a look last week at the introduction to this section where Imam Ghazali uh, spoke about, just in general, about introducing uh, what it means to perform acts of disobedience with the limbs. And if you weren't able to attend, then that has been uploaded on the Captivate podcast website. So you can pick it up from there. And so we'll go straight into the first limb. So there are seven parts of the body which are capable of obedience just as they are capable of transgression. And as Imam Ghazali said, that in order for a person to show gratitude for their limbs, 
then the way that that's done is by using those limbs in acts of obedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So acts of disobedience, acts of sin or transgression that are committed by the limbs, he says are actually signs of ingratitude and actually show the way in which a person does not understand what their limbs are for, nor do they understand or are they able to implement what their limbs have been created for. So we seek refuge in Allah from that and we ask inshallah that we should be guided and that we should have the wisdom and knowledge to know how to use our body parts, how to use our limbs in the way which expresses our utmost gratitude to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for the blessing of these limbs and in doing so then we avoid their misuse and therefore the, we avoid falling into any transgression through them. So first of all we're going to discuss the sins of the eye and this is quite a short section um, and we're going to look at it from a couple of different angles as well. So first of all the on the right hand side the Arabic obviously is the text Bidayatul Hidayah, the beginning of guidance and we have our translation there. So we'll just read from the Arabic, Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. أو تنظر بها إلى مسلم بعين الاحتقار أو تطلي بها على عيب مسلم. So very very short but very concise. So Imam Ghazali says, as you can see in the translation, as for the eye, it's been created for you, so you can be guided by it in the darkness, depend upon it for your needs, gaze with it upon the wonders of the dominion of the heavens and the earth and learn from or take heed of the signs in the heavens and the earth. And he warns us to protect your eye from four things. From looking at other than non-marriageable kin, from gazing at a beautiful form with lustful desire, from looking down upon a Muslim, or from closely following a Muslim's, a Muslim's faults and shortcomings. So I'm going to show you the commentary. Now, don't freak out when this next slide comes, but whether you know Arabic or not, I've put this slide here for you to focus on the different colors. Okay, so we're taking a slight step out from just studying the content of the text, and I want to show you something about the text itself, about the commentary. So what we have here is Imam al-Jawi's explanation and his commentary on what we just saw of Imam al-Ghazali's words. So all the words in gold are the same text that we just saw, what Imam al-Ghazali wrote, and everything else is what Imam al-Jawi has put together about those words. And there are 11 colors on this page. Some of them might not be so clear. There's a dark green and a light green, there's an orange, there's a brown. But basically each of those colors indicates a different type of knowledge or a different science and so I want you just to have a look at that and to look at the amount of colors there and to look at how they're all intertwined okay so just have a look at that for a moment and then we'll explain that on the next slide inshallah okay so what we're doing here is looking at, as it says up the top, an example of the repertoire of sciences and skills with which a commentator typically approaches a text. So part of our aim in having these classes is to help people develop a textual competence or a malaka, which is a competence in understanding classical texts. And that doesn't mean only what Imam Ghazali has written, but it also means understanding the way in which knowledge is built in the Islamic scholarly tradition, 
and the types of knowledge that go into an explanation. So we'll just have a look at these one by one. So we've said that this paragraph that we just saw contains 11 types of knowledge. So the gold, as we said, is Imam al-Ghazali's Bidayah Til Hidayah, his actual text. And it is a very, very short and concise summary of only some of his knowledge and wisdom, which he has written with a specific intention um, and for a specific readership. So as you would know from our class last week or if you've listened to the other podcasts, he really wrote this book for students of knowledge and for lay people. So that's the first knowledge that's present. And then we have Aqeedah, we have a reference to the Wahdaniya, to Tawheed, to the oneness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, which we will come to in a moment when we actually go back and explain that text. We have ayahs from the Quran, then there's Tafsir, so explanation of that. Then we have Fiqh rulings, there's something from the Seerah, there are two Hadith, there is a proverb, there is quite a bit of poetry in the last part, and that's not poetry for entertainment or love or anything like that, but it's poetry with counsel and wisdom, which is its own type. And there's also prosody mentioned, which is the science of poetic meter. And that science is called arud. So that's the actual pattern or sound that those poems are written on. And that in itself is a whole science. There are about 16 different meters um, traditionally. And part of the skill of the poet is to be able to say what they want to say upon that particular meter, so upon a particular pattern of sound. And then the black text, which is in between all of that and which you might have noticed is very little, is actually Imam al-Jawi's uh, way of putting everything together. So his commentary, which is this book, Maraqi al-Ubudiyya, contains his knowledge and understanding of the topics. And it also contains what a commentary at this level requires. So this is a basic commentary, okay? This is not a complex one. It's not a gloss, which is a commentary on a commentary. It's just a really basic um, explanation of what Imam al-Ghazali has written. So he needs to have his own grasp of all these and all the other knowledge uh, which isn't contained in this sample paragraph. So for example, Arabic grammar, uh, which is the Nahu and the Sarf, also Montik. Also, he could have put in something about uh, the narrators of the Hadith, for example, um, the strength of those Hadith, uh, where they're found in which books of Hadith. Um, he could have put in different rewise, different narrations of the same thing. So there's all the Hadith knowledge. Um, and there's just a whole massive canon of knowledge and in this particular sample of this paragraph, then what we have here is what he chose to put in. And so he has to know what to select and he has to know how to put it together for maximum benefit. So that the audience or the readership that Imam Ghazali has intended the book for will benefit. And he needs to know how to do justice to what he thought would best explain Imam Ghazali's work. So. The point here is to show you what integrated Islamic knowledge looks like and how it's not a random selection of someone's opinions or thoughts on something, but how every single piece of knowledge and the field that it comes from has been selected by the commentator for a purpose, and that is to highlight and explain and broaden the reader's or the student's understanding so that they are able to manifest that knowledge and act upon it, inshallah. So this is something often that women don't get exposed to, is um, the actual way in which texts work. And so I wanted to point this out, and inshallah, maybe we'll get an opportunity to uh, do it again sometime. But the point is that I want you to know what goes into a commentary. And it's not just about random things that come to a person and who writes them down but it's a highly um, skilled and highly detailed practice of building upon knowledge and putting it in such a way that it is best understood 
And the thing with Imam Ghazali's books is they really are timeless. And so the wisdom that's in them, and even Imam Ujawi, who passed away at the end of the 19th century, um, he wrote that book or his commentaries, say, Yani 750 or 800 years after Imam Ghazali, but he's able to make it relevant and not just to his time, but also to our time. And so this shows the universality of Islam, of Islamic knowledge, and how it is this continually developing and building and expanding and highly relevant um, canon of knowledge and guidance that inshallah is our responsibility to tap into inshallah. Okay, so we'll just go back to the text here. And so I have exactly what's there in that um, colored portion, which we will now have a look at what Imam Ujawi says. So Imam, Imam Ghazali says, so as for the eye, it's been created for you, uh, so you can be guided in the darkness, depend upon it for your needs, gaze with it upon the wonders of the dominions of the heavens and the earth. And Imam Ujawi says so that you can look at the wonders of the things that have been created and that will point you to the wahdaniya of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, to his oneness. And the eye is the first thing really that we perceive with. And it is through that that the intellect is stimulated and looks and says, what is going on here? And how is this most incredible universe around me created and sustained? And who is the one behind that? So if when you look, that doesn't happen, then your eye's not working properly, okay? So you can see, it's like Dr. Omar um, Abdullah, he says that when, uh, you know, he might go to the uh, Niagara Falls or something or the Grand Canyon or wherever you go, that's a truly amazing uh, eye or sign that points to the creator and people stand there and say, oh, wow, that's a lot of water, isn't it? Or they say, oh, wow, look how deep the canyon is. And they can't say anything other than, oh, wow, because they don't have a Lord or the concept of a creator to connect it to. And so their heart can't fall down in sujood. Their heart can't fall down in prostration. Their mind can't conceive of the fact that there is this most incredible creator who has made these things for us to look at and to know him through that. Um, and so part of using our eye in the right way is to be able to use it in order to increase our iman and our yaqeen and our belief in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then uh, Imam Ujawi quotes quite a long ayah from Surah Al-Baqarah, um, 164. And so he says that because that the ayah basically means that indeed in the creation of the heavens and the earth and the exchange of the night and the day and the movement of the sea are things that benefit people and what Allah has brought down from the sky um, of water which brings a life to earth after its death. So the reviving of barren earth and what he has sent in it of animals and the blowing of the winds and the clouds that have been sent. Um, these are all signs. So these are signs for a people who think and who use their intellect. And so the tafsir of that that Imam Ujawi has put in has said that yanduruna So they look with the eye of their intellect and they look at the power and the incredible hikmah, the incredible wisdom of the Creator. Then he says, Imam Azali says, Rahimahullah, so protect your eye from four things. So the first is from looking at other than non-marriageable kin. So when he says uh, that, it means, Mina nisa al so from strange women, okay, which means who? Women that you can marry. Okay, so obviously this is aimed at men, but of course it equally applies to women because both men and women have been addressed in the Quran when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells in Surah Tunur for both the believing men and women to lower their gaze. So usually uh, the Quran is addressed uh, to both men and women in the ayah. So when the when the ayah says, Ya ayyuhannas, all you people, or all you those who believe, 
or whoever, it always includes women. But sometimes there are particular ayahs which are directed specifically at women. And this is one of them. So we are told to lower our gaze, just as men are. And in the eye that, uh, in the words that continue in that for women, is also to maintain our modesty by protecting our chastity and covering ourselves and being modest. So we each have a role and a responsibility to play in society too, um, contributing to and ensuring that everyone in society is chaste and modest. So it's not a responsibility that just falls on women, but it's a responsibility that falls on everybody for the soundness of the society. So Imam Ujawi says that when it says um, not looking at, at, at uh, strange women, it means their entire body. And that includes their eyes, or their hair, their nails. So looking at a woman's fingernails and other than that. And it means not to get a visual enjoyment from the shape of a woman. And so he says here that it doesn't really matter if a person sees a woman, the shape of a woman's body, which is covered in clothes, if he doesn't see the real form of it underneath. So if a man sees a woman in loose clothing and his eye falls upon that, that's, that's okay because this is part of the general scene outside. But the important thing is that he doesn't go looking for the shape of her body under that garment. And then he mentions a, a hadith from the Prophet and he says, من تأمل خلف امرأة ورأى ثيابها حتى تبين له حجم عظامها لم يرح راحة الجنة. So whoever ponders, literally it says behind a woman. So if you're looking at a woman, the eye is following the woman, and you start to think, um, and you start to look at her clothes until you can see the shape of her bones. So the shape of her body. Perhaps a gust of wind blows and now the loose clothing is pushed against her body, for example. So if you keep looking, hoping to get a shape, uh, hoping to get um, a, a glimpse of the shape of her body, then you will not smell the fragrance of Jannah. Also, you also men are cautioned not to look at the aura of their mahram, so of their non-marriageable kin. So men shouldn't look at for example, you know, if you have teenagers in the house and, of course, uh, teenage girls that are blooming, for example, they should be encouraged to wear modest clothes in front of their brothers. Um, their brothers, too, might be growing into handsome, strapping young lads and they should be covering themselves properly in the house as well. So everybody should be taught to be modest inside, just as they are outside. And uh, there's also a caution here um, where people are told that there's no sin upon you if it is that your eye falls upon something that you are looking at without any intention. So if it is that a man's just sitting there minding his own business and then his eye happens to fall upon a woman but he wasn't intending for that, um, then that's okay for him the first time. The problem is if he looks a second time and if he looks a second time with the intention for looking. So if she walks off and then happens to come back and he wasn't expecting it, okay. But if he looks and then looks away and then follows her with his eyes, then they say that the first look is for you, meaning that it doesn't have any harm, but the second look is alayka, is against you. Then the second point um, that a person should protect their eye from is from gazing at a beautiful form with lustful desire. And a story is mentioned here where a group came to the Prophet and they had amongst them a youth, a handsome beardless youth who is called an Amrad. And so the Prophet saw this young man and placed him or seated him behind his back so that he wouldn't look at him. Um, and this is interesting because a young beardless youth can be a form of fitna for an older man. 
And we live in a time now we where we know this only too well. And unfortunately, these sort of somewhat uh, feminine or androgynous looking young men are really heavily promoted in our society at the moment, particularly through this K-pop um, and these young men, you don't, they, they, you can see that they're men, but only just. And they look extremely effeminate and they dye their hair pink and green and I don't know what else. And they really are a test for men. And so if it is that there are effeminate young men, then they should be uh, treated in the best of ways, in the sense that they should not be put in any situation whereby they may be tempted to be a cause of fitna for other men and other men shouldn't be tempted by them. And so the wisdom of the Prophet وسلم, for putting this young person behind him uh, is, uh, is mashallah extraordinary because they knew, they knew the nature of people. And it also says here, a proverb where another barid zina. So the barid is like, if you're not um, Arabic, the barid is the postal system, right? <laughs> and so it's like the gazing upon something is like the deliverer or the messenger or the way in which zina becomes transmitted because that's what uh, the post system does. It takes one uh, letter to another place. So it's the, the, the method in which something is delivered. And so it's through looking that um, unlawful sexual relations begin to happen. So it's most important that that possibility is cut off from the very beginning. Um, and so the eye that's uh, quoted for that, of course, is this one in Surah Tanur that we've mentioned. So tell the believers to lower their gaze. The third point is one should guard their eye from looking down upon any Muslim. And ihtikar is uh, looking in a, in a scornful way or in a way that you think that person is less than you. So in order for you to do that, you have to have some type of arrogance in yourself already. And so somebody who thinks they are better than other people will naturally do that. So the point is that we need to remove arrogance from our hearts so that we don't look down upon others and think that they are less than us in any way and if that were to happen honestly and sincerely we wouldn't have issues of discrimination and particularly racism in our communities uh, to the extent that we currently do because if we saw every believer as a wali as a friend of Allah and as somebody who is with a higher rank and with a closer proximity to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala than ourselves, then we would look at every believer with reverence and we would look at all of them with husnul dhan, with the best of opinion, because we don't know who's better than us. And so the state of somebody who is traveling a spiritual path to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala should always be that you see others as better and higher than yourself. And in fact, uh, Sheikh Habib Omar ibn Hafid, he said that the, if, the, if the day comes where he thinks that he's better than any of his students, then he will shut down Darul Mustafa. And that really is the best example that we can have because Alhamdulillah, uh, we benefit from him. We know that he is of an extremely high rank and we know we're nothing like him, SubhanAllah in terms of knowledge, in terms of akhlaq, in terms of everything. And for him to say that really should make us think that if he thinks he's better than any student who comes to learn from him at his institution, he will close it, then that really should be a reminder to us to think about how we look at other people. And the fourth point is that we should protect our eye from closely following a Muslim's faults and shortcomings. This is difficult now with social media because we are exposed to other people exposing Muslims' faults all the time and commenting on them. But we should, if we see something of that, make dua for the person and not follow up with the gossip and the comments and the things that are said about other people. 
we don't know what goes on in people's lives just as they don't know what goes on in our lives and we shouldn't seek out information about them and anything about them that would lower them in our estimation just as we wouldn't want somebody to do that with us so the poetry that's mentioned we won't go into um, but that's a section there on protecting your eye from four things so that more or less covers what's in that paragraph there okay the second limb is the ear so what does Imam Ghazali say about avoiding the sins of the ear he says so as for the ear وتتوصل ففي الخبر أن المستمع شريك القائل وهو أحد المكتابين. So as for the ear, guard it against listening to blameworthy innovations. And Imam Jawi tells us that that means, for example, the singing of strange women, and also musical instruments, uh, which include at uh, what's it called? A tambour, which is like a long-necked traditional Arabic string instrument. And the oud, which is used in uh, like traditional folk uh, Arabic music, which is like a short-necked guitar with a very large bulb at the back. And the mizmar, which is a flute, and other than that. Now, there are many, many opinions on uh, listening to music. So we won't go into that because it's a whole issue of itself. But the main point about music is that it shouldn't be something that takes you away from the remembrance of Allah. And it shouldn't be something that makes you get right into your nafs and stimulate you in a way that wouldn't really be suitable to a person who is traveling the path to Allah with purity and piety. So there's certainly nothing wrong with enjoying yourself and relaxing and things like that, but you should be aware of what's going on with you and enjoy yourself, but not to the extent that it would lessen you in your dignity or in your relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that's very individual for each person. And only you would know where you stand with that and be able to test yourself and uh, do what you need to do in terms of changing anything or um, checking yourself and seeing where you are in relation to that. And then he says, of course, you should protect your ear from listening to backbiting or corrupt language. And Imam Ujawi says here that fuhrish is a corrupt language um, or obscene language, as it says in the translation. Um, for example, he gives uh, a man who tells the secrets about his wife to others and so that would mean like their intimate secrets so for example sitting there with his friend and boasting about what he does with his wife and uh, that type of thing and the point is that a wife is a sir is a secret for a man and so his intimate relationship with her is something that should remain intimate between them and something that is not spoken about of course the time that we live in this becomes even more important because there is such a lack of barriers there is such a destruction of shame there is such a destruction of honor and honoring people and their dignity and for a man to sit there and boast about his prowess uh, with his wife or with his partner or whoever and whatever 
is unfortunately something that we see explicitly and also more implicitly because a man nowadays likes to make a statement about his masculinity by having a beautiful woman in his company and the woman partakes in that and actually lowers her dignity by presenting herself in such a way that other men would feel jealous about him, the man that she's with, and that they would uh, perhaps look at her in a lustful way and wish that they could be her partner or her lover or whatever. So this thing about um, not listening and not taking part in this spreading of the degradation of the dignity of your wife or partner um, is uh, really important and we should know that so much of the stuff that goes on with celebrities and what goes on in the public sphere would actually fall into this and we need to protect our ears and our eyes and everything from partaking in that. Okay, then the next point, he says you should protect your ear from vain talk and mentioning the bad deeds of others. As for vain talk, it means uh, being in a gathering or being in a place where uh, speech is produced, um, which is not appropriate to that gathering. So it's basically just uh, rubbish talk, which doesn't befit those who are gathering for a reason. So, I mean, it's okay to have light talk and conversation and things like that, but a person should be aware that it doesn't become all banal. And it's said that the people of Jannah are not regretful about anything that happened in their dunya. Why? Because they've entered Jannah, except when they look back and they think about any moment or any gathering in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was not mentioned. So for people who are concerned about their akhirah and who are concerned about the path they take, even if you are forced to have trivial conversation or whatever, always remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala either in yourself or amongst those. And it's said that if at the end of a gathering you say subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik, ashadu an la ilaha illa anta astaghfiruka wa atubu ilayk, then inshallah all the things that might have been said that were either sinful or close to sinful or were not pleasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will be forgiven. And so that way you get to make your majlis, your sitting with people, a majlis of dhikr rather than a majlis of ghafla, of heedlessness. And we ask Allah to always make us mindful of what we say and of course about what we hear. And then uh, clearly the mentioning the bad deeds of others, Imam Mujawi doesn't uh, add any extra comments to that because that's clear we shouldn't be speaking badly about other people. Then Imam Mujawi goes on to talk about this next paragraph about what the ear was created. Oh, sorry, the, the same paragraph. He, he talks a bit more about that and he says that um, oh yeah, he says that if you listen to anything that is disliked, then what was in your favor will be against you. So what could have been of a benefit to you now becomes something that's harmful to you. And what does that mean? It means that what you could have received reward for or something good for now becomes a cause for your destruction. If you don't make toba, he says, in lem tatub, so if you don't make toba for listening to things which are not appropriate and which have now come to work against you. And then... And then uh, he says also Imam Ghazali that don't think that only the sinfulness uh, belongs to the speaker and not to the listener. And then he mentions a hadith where the Prophet wasalam, says, uh, So the mustamia is the person who listens and is a partner with the qa'il, the speaker. And he is one of those, so he is one of those who has partaken in the backbiting, in, in this case it mentions backbiting, or in the ill speech of others. And, and Imam Ujawi goes into 
a, a discussion here that Imam Nawawi has mentioned. So he himself doesn't really talk about that, but rather he's put in a paragraph um, taken from one of Imam Nawawi's um, discussions on this topic. And just to summarize, Imam Nawawi says that at the very least, if a person is in a gathering where there is ill conversation or where there is um, any of these things that have been listed, for example, uh, listening to music which you know is not appropriate or backbiting or obscenity or vain talk or mentioning the bad deeds of others then at the very least you should show your dislike for the conversation but only if you if you don't fear that by showing your dislike you will be harmed or abused for that so if you think that if the company you're in um, are going to use that against you then you're not obligated to show them your dislike for the type of conversation he says but rather what you should do and he offers three solutions if you are unable to do anything to actively change a situation without that fear and if it's not possible for you to leave okay because sometimes due to politeness or due to uh, family relations like you have to be there okay and it might be a situation that you don't want to be in so this advice is actually really important and often people complain that they have to go to family functions or weddings or uh, any school uh, concerts or things where they just don't really feel comfortable and where they feel that there is an environment and things being said and done where they don't like to be in such a company but they can't leave so what do you do he says first of all you should make a dhikr of allah either with your tongue and your heart together so if you can sit there and actually make your dhikr then do so and if you can't with your tongue so you you fear that people will look at you in a wrong way or not appreciate or understand what you're doing then at least in your heart so you should be sitting there and remembering allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in your heart and not engaging in the conversation um, or the third is that you should think about something else okay so if you can't make any dhikr outwardly or inwardly then at least think about a different topic that will busy you from partaking in listening to the conversation um, and that won't harm you in any way um, nor will it nor will it enable you to partake by listening so it's interesting that he's given those three points so you should write that down and remember that and tell other people if they are complaining they have to go to such and such an event and they don't want to go then you can remind them of what imam and nawawi recommends as a means of dealing with the situation and then imam ujawi mentions here a story he says an ibrahim although he doesn't mention which ibrahim I think it might be Ibrahim Al-Adham, who was one of the great knowers of Allah. And it says that he was invited to a walima, to a wedding party. And it says, lam yatihim. So he went and the people he was with uh, remembered or started to speak about a man who hadn't shown up. And they said, Innahu So they were insulting him. And Ibrahim said and so he blamed himself and he said i'm the one that's done this to myself so he said i'm the one who's done this to myself when i came to this place where people are being spoken about badly or where there's backbiting and it says so he left and he didn't eat after that for three days as a way of making toba, as a way of trying to purify himself. So that's what Imam al-Jawi has to say about the ear. And of course there is much more and you can always go to the Ihya'ul-Muddin and read about these things. But this is really the essence of what a person needs to know um, about these topics okay so we'll go to the next one now which is the sins of the tongue and hopefully we'll be able to get through a little bit of this so 
first of all, avoiding the sins of the tongue. And Imam Ghazali says, So as for the tongue, it's created for you so that you may praise God abundantly. Recite his book, meaning the Quran. And direct or guide his creatures to his path. And express your needs. So what, what is inside of you? So what are you thinking about regarding your religious and worldly matters and needs? And he says, so if or when you have used it for a purpose other than for which it is created, you have shown ingratitude for this blessing of God. And here he says kafarta, that's not kufr as in disbelief, but it's kufran. So the mazdar of that is kufran, which means ingratitude. So it's very careful that you understand the context because they look the same, like to the untrained eye, if you like. Those two words look the same. So somebody might read that and think, oh, it means you've disbelieved in the blessings of Allah and cast yourself outside the fold. No, that's not the meaning. It's a completely different word. So this here, kafarta, then the mazdar of, of that, or the, the um, what do you call it in English? I don't know what you call the English technical term, the grammatical term, the gerund, I think it is is kufran so that's what it means you've shown ingratitude he says uh, as for the tongue then it's the part of you so so it's the part of you which can most overpower you and all other people so the rest of creation and what people say as we know living in a time where propaganda is strife indoctrination is strife there's so much uh, false news and fake news and everything going on and you can see how people get affected by what other people say but that is not just limited to the to the people who are listening but those who actually speak the wrong thing will be the ones who will be overcome with that at the time when they will be taken to account and the prophet said uh, so people are not thrown into hell on their faces for anything more than the harvests of their tongues and Imam al-Jawi says about that that when you talk about harvesting then what you actually do with your speech is it's almost like somebody who harvests from what they have planted so literally like how a person would plant uh, wheat or crops or anything like that and then they reap what it is that they have harvested so it's something that you earn he says it's kasab and jama so just as a, a farmer um, earns these crops by planting them and tending to them and watering and cultivating and then ultimately harvesting them and collecting them then there's a likening here to a person actually doing the same thing with their speech so what the tongue produces is cultivated and harvested this is in the akhirah and brought together for them so it's all collected and he says also that there's a, a semblance made that the tongue itself and what it speaks is like the sharp blade of a scythe of the instrument that's used to actually cut the crop so there there's like a more of a, a metaphorical and a study of the language which really produces an imagery there of what you say is not just something which goes out into nowhere but it's something that you actually earn for yourself and that will come back and that you will see that again and so we ask Allah to make us of those who are aware of what we say and how we say it and inshallah make istighfar make tawbah for the things that are not the right thing to say and so that on the day of judgment when our deeds come back and when our speech is heard by ourselves we're not ashamed of it and that it will be pleasing 
and work for us, inshallah. Imam Ujawi also mentioned something that Nabi Dawood said. And he said, Oh Allah, I ask you for four things and I seek refuge in you for four. And as for those of what I ask of you, I ask you for lisanan dakiran. I ask you for a remembering tongue or a tongue that's constantly in a state of remembrance. So of the eight things, this is really the one that is relevant to our topic. Um, but he also said he asked for a grateful heart and patience and a wife who will help him in the affairs of his dunya and akhirah. And as for the four things that he seeks refuge in, he seeks refuge in waladin yakunu alayya sayyidan, which again is really important for our time where he says he seeks refuge in having a child who will uh, lord over him like a master. So that would be a disobedient child. He seeks refuge in money that will be a cause of punishment. And he seeks refuge in a neighbor who, if they see something good from me, hide it and cover it. And if they see something bad, then they spread it. So as you can see, the one point that's really relevant to our topic is there. But all these other things um, are also important and add to our general understanding, our thaqafah. So our knowledge of Islamic culture, of Islamic manners, um, of the things that are important in ourselves and in other people. And so we get this big picture all the time of the way in which we are encouraged through these stories and through the wisdom in them uh, to, to be and, and how to make our journey back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, asking for the right things and seeking refuge from the things which will not benefit us. Okay, then the last paragraph where the Prophet والسلام, uh, there's a story. So, Kutila Shahidun fi Marakati, Allah Ahadi Rasulilahi, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Bakala Kailun. So, a Muslim was martyred in a battle in the lifetime of the Messenger, والسلام, and he says that this is. Um, Yeah, this is the Battle of Uhud. And the Qa'il, the person who spoke, Imam al-Jawi tells us, is um, the mother of this shaheed, whose name was Umm Fadl. And when she saw her son's body after she had wiped the sand from his face, she said, Hani and lahu bil jannah. She said, Oh, may he enjoy paradise. And then the Prophet said, uh, how do you know that? Mayudariki. So how do you know that he's in paradise? And he said, perhaps he used to speak about things which did not concern him. And perhaps he was stingy with that which gained him nothing or from which he earned uh, nothing. There was no reward or benefit for him in being stingy with the things that he was being stingy about. Now this is a really huge hadith in terms of meaning and there are so many different aspects to this here. And what we're interested in is the fact that perhaps he used to speak about things which did not concern him. Most people would know the hadith min husn islam al-mar'i tarkuhu ma la ya'nihi so from the best of a person's islam is leaving that which does not concern them so not speaking about it or following it up or being interested in that and then as for being stingy with that which gains him nothing then the scholars say that really falls into three different categories so it means being stingy with your words in the sense that you could pass on some knowledge of any type not just sacred knowledge but anything that would benefit someone you can share some information or some knowledge or benefit someone in some way through your speech, but then you hold back and you don't share that. So you're actually holding back from something which doesn't benefit you to keep with you. And in fact, had you given that speech, had you given those words, then you would have benefited from it. 
just as that person would have benefited from it. You might have guided someone to good. You might have helped them with a problem. You might have given them some advice or given them important information about their affairs. So holding on to it doesn't gain you anything. And the second one is in zakah. So there are people who don't pay their zakah or who don't want to give sadaqah. They don't want to give any charity or any help to people because they think that by holding on to their money, it will benefit them and it doesn't because we know that for everything you spend in sadaqah, Allah will give you back the same and more. And also it's an obligation to pay your zakah. And so if you hold it back, then you haven't purified your money and there will be a severe reprimand for that if you don't give what other people have a right to, which is a portion of your wealth, if it is that you reach the minimum in, in, in which it then becomes applied to you. And the third is in the ma'un. So you know from that short surah at the end of the Quran, وَيَمْنَعُونَ الْمَعُونَ So it's people who don't give of small things that others might need or, or ask. So your neighbor knocks on the door or if you've got a cup of sugar or a cup of flour or two eggs or a couple of teaspoons of salt or anything or can I borrow your big pot or have you got a ladder um, we're changing the light bulbs have you got a ladder we can borrow so I mean anything little needs that people might have um, which doesn't benefit you to not give them okay so this is what the scholars have said about the meaning of this hadith and also if you hoard things so you might have clothes in the cupboard you haven't worn for 10 years and by not giving them away, you're not benefiting by that. So you're being stingy and niggardly and holding back from something which doesn't benefit you to hold on to. And then Imam Ghazali says, So guard your tongue against eight things, against lying, breaking a promise, backbiting, disputation, which is unnecessary and excessive arguing and debate, self-praise, cursing, supplicating against others and making fun of people. So I'm just looking at the time and it looks like we're out of time and inshallah our first two topics we will go to next week ta'ala. We ask Allah to join us on khair and we'll open up now to any questions or comments that you might have inshallah. So please um, let's see what's written there and um, unmute yourself um, and or write in the chat okay again um, I encourage you to join the telegram group and also note that um, texts and also the PowerPoint presentations and any class materials are available in the shared Google Drive folder which is on the telegram group and again contact us by email if you have any inquiries okay um what do i do here i think sorry where's the chat Okay, so I've had uh, sent to me here on the phone a couple of the questions. Okay, please repeat the three advices when in bad company. So first of all, make dhikr with your tongue and your heart together, if you can, or just with your heart, or think about something else that will busy you away from listening to the conversation of people who um, whose conversation you don't really want to listen to. Can we get hold of the slides? Yes, inshallah, they will be available on the shared Google Drive, which is accessible through the Telegram group. Um, oh, here we are. Um, oh, this... Uh, thing is not working very well for me so we ask Allah to accept from us inshallah to accept our intentions and to accept 
our intention and our need to improve ourselves and purify ourselves before we meet with him subhanahu wa ta'ala and may Allah make that the best day for all of us inshallah and we uh, seek to gain the most benefit that we can from all sources of knowledge that we're exposed to and we ask uh, through our seeking inshallah that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala should grant us all that is good bless us in our time and our health and our wealth and in our families and in our children give us the ability to learn and implement and to pass that on to those around us and to be a source of guidance particularly to our children who are really facing challenges and to our husbands and our families as well inshallah and we ask Allah to lift the calamities and trials that have uh, appeared and come to be manifest in our societies and in our hearts and to purify us um, inshallah completely and to make us people that he is pleased with in all our states and affairs in the dunya and the barzakh and the akhirah inshallah wa sallallahu ta'ala ala sayyidina wa maulana muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik أشهد أن لا إله إلا أنت أستغفرك وأتوب إليك جزاكم الله خير شكرا I look forward to seeing you all again next Sunday at the same time inshallah anything any communication anything at all everything is open we'd love to engage with you um, so please uh, feel that this is a home for you that this is a place uh, of learning and a place of coming together for the sake of Allah and um, I, I really hope, inshallah, that we can connect on all levels, inshallah. So please feel very, very welcome and not intimidated or with any inhibitions to come forward, inshallah. And uh, yeah, I hope to see you next time, inshallah. May Allah bless everybody and give you a great week, inshallah. Please forgive my shortcomings and inshallah make dua for us and for the Ummah of the Prophet. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.